0: Welcome to this special presentation of Bait and Switch Podcast Sports, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Bait and Switch Podcast.
1: Any other use of this podcast or descriptions or accounts of this broadcast without the consent of the Bait and Switch Podcast is strictly prohibited.
0: Welcome back to the Bait and Switch Podcast. A very special podcast here tonight. Our annual Milwaukee Brewers and Major League Baseball Preview with our guests. As always, we got Jeff Grayson, our sportscaster here from our our friend from back in high school. Good good evening, Jeff.
2: Hello, hey, Mr. Bayer. Hello, Mr. Barton. Hey, Jeff. Great to be on with you, my fellow Tosens. Thanks yeah, for being and, here.
0: And then joining Jeff and us is Jerry Augustine, former Brewer and former partner of uh, Jeff on the air for Fox Sports. Well uh, okay.
3: I'm a Anytime I can go and do something with Jeff, it's always an honor. He, he's one who taught me so much about what I do. So if I whatever I screw up tonight, let's blame Jeff. <laughs> there you go.
1: <laughs> well, th- thanks for being here, guys. We always appreciate your time, for sure. And it's always a pleasure talking to you guys about baseball. Uh, we're always excited to do it.
2: Like Augie said, we had a lot of fun. We we got paid to talk about the Brewers and to talk about baseball on television. It <laughs> wasn't a bad gig, huh, pal? No.
3: No, it wasn't Uh you know, some of the we did so many fun things, and you know, the one thing that you you do if you really love the game and you're a sports uh, fanatic, uh, doing the stuff that we were allowed to do was very, very special. But not only was it special because we were able to go out and do it and talk about Brewer baseball, is because we became very good friends. And when we talked about it, it was a passion that we both had. And I think that's one thing that we did for. For Fox Sports Wisconsin at that time is we had passion and everybody enjoyed that passion and uh, you know even today I hear so many people talk about you guys just enjoyed what you do you could really tell it
2: yeah well that's very nice and you guys have that by the way let's return the favor Chris Byer and Jim Martin fellow my fellow Red Raiders you guys get along great and obviously have a lot of fun doing this so that it, it yeah. shows it shows well, I appreciate yeah, that
0: thanks we're at five yeah. plus years here and I want yeah. to add. As I did last year, Jeff knows that uh, uh, Jeff knows his baseball. Jerry obviously knows his baseball, but yep. uh, Jim Martin, no yes. slouch. Jim's uh, baseball in, uh, knowledge is encyclopedic as as Jeff's is.
2: Uh, I'll give you. The, you're going to get the Duke, as they say, Jim. You get the arm raised. You're, <laughs> I'm just trying to keep up with you. You do a great job. Well, you know well, I baseball. appreciate it.
1: I, I did have to brush up a little bit. Uh, I'm a, little, a tad bit behind this year and spring training and everything, but. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we'll have a we'll have a good chat.
0: All right. Now this first half hour we're gonna talk about the brewers. I wanna start a little bit off topic though, however. I want to just talk about uniforms. I read somewhere <laughs> where the brewers colors were inherited from the Seattle Pilots. When the Seattle yes. Pilots had a year uh in the Major League Baseball and they switched over to the Brewers, there's something about how they they didn't have time to change the colors or something like that. Jerry Augustine, our, uh, who's on the air here now has got a frame jersey of his, uh, for the Brewers here in those original colors, I believe. Jeff, tell us the story about how the Brewers got their colors.
2: <laughs> you, you're setting me up. He's, he's lobbing a <laughs> wiffle ball or a beach ball in. Okay. What's that easy? Aug- yes. When, when Augie and I worked together, I would kind of do a quick segment before we went back to the ballpark in the eighth inning. And I would try to find a little nugget. And uh, one year, the Brewers were wearing old uniforms from the original Milwaukee Brewers. We're talking turn-of-the-century, early 1900s Brewers. They did it. They wore those uniforms. They might have done it at what was Miller Park, now American Family Field. But I know for a fact they did it at Target Field against the Twins one game. The Twins were wearing these bland, kind of typical grays, and said St. Paul. And the uh, Brewers were wearing... Milwaukee Brewers uniforms, they were red, white and blue. So there was a white uniform with uh, it said Brewers in red in script trimmed in blue. And so I, I was looking things up about that. Those were the original colors of the team that eventually moved to St. Louis and became the St. Louis Browns. And that team moved and became the Baltimore Orioles in the 50s, but they were originally the Milwaukee Brewers played at Borcher Field. Okay. So that's the backstory. Now you go to 1969, and Chris is exactly right. There's a team called the Seattle Pilots. And this would never happen now, but after I feel bad for I have one of my best friends in TV is from Seattle. He always said, You took our baseball team. They were. <laughs> They went bankrupt. They were in existence for one year, and they had some really cutting-edge uniforms. Actually, they had a, a, like almost like an airline pilot's hat for uh, for with the S on it. So they had blue and gold as their colors. If you go back to the history of the Brewers, we're all Wisconsinites. Bud Selig led the way when that team was going bankrupt in Seattle to get the team to Milwaukee. It was right before the season started. April 1970, they moved the team. They're going to rename it the Brewers, just like the team from the around 1900. And Bud wanted, because he's big on history and he's a Milwaukee guy, Bud was going to have the exact same uniforms and colors of the original Milwaukee Brewers, red, white, and blue. But just like Chris said, it kind of foreshadowed it. There was no time to do that. They had to take the stitching off the pilot's uniforms. And somehow so on brewers and they had no time to change the colors or do anything else. They barely got the uniforms ready for the first game. And that is why the brewers wear blue and gold. Wow. And eventually they, uh, and they wore gray on the road. And then eventually, as Chris was referring to the jersey that is on Augie's wall, that baby blue, the powder blue, which they, they got in the, early to mid-70s, but that's why their, their colors are blue and gold because they had no time to change them. The Brewers wanted to do the, the, the red, white, and blue from, uh, you know, from what is now over 100 years old. Yeah, it's a long well, story, but I appreciate yeah. your patience getting through
0: yeah. <laughs> it. Let me ask Augie this. Now, as far as colors of uniforms in Major League Baseball, blue, black, red, they predominate. That's almost everyone. My favorite uniform, I'd have to say, and I'm not saying it's because of the Packers, but Oakland A's—that green and that yellow—that's a great, that's a great uniform. Whether they go the yellow prominent or the green prominent, <laughs> Augie, what's your favorite baseball uh, baseball uniform?
3: Well, I tell you, anything that's tradition. You know, you look at at what teams have done. Uh, you look at the Cubs. You look at the Red Sox. You look at the Yankees. Um, Traditionally have kept the same uniforms. Uh, I was very, very close to wearing a Yankee uniform, and I would have been very honored because I just think that's, the uh, of all uniforms in the, in the game of baseball that talk about the history of baseball, there's nothing better than a Yankee uniform. So I'm very much a historian as far as that goes and a traditionalist. Do I like the uniforms where they have them today, the colors they do? You see the Boos changing a lot, all teams changing with different colors. You see a lot, especially in the NBA. But uh, I'm still an old school guy. I do like the Yankee uniforms. I like the Boston Red Sox uniform. The, the Cub uniforms are, are, have always been very consistent. So I'm going to stay with, with the teams that, that, uh, that are, are traditional and have kept it the same way. And, uh, I think those uniforms are just awesome.
2: Yeah. Can can yeah. I just touch on something because you did it again? You set me up again with the Oakland A's. Yeah, nineteen. Okay, they were originally the Philadelphia Athletics. Oh, let's stop. We're going long. Right. No, 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 no. Uh, they, they moved. They moved to Kansas City. Yeah. Okay. Great. They yep. always wore red, white, and blue. They were mm-hmm. always red, white, and blue. Charlie yeah. Finley buys the Kansas City A's. Mm-hmm. He moves them to Oakland, and because he loved about uh, grabbing attention, getting attention. He changed the colors from red, white, and blue to green and gold, and then he had everybody grow mustaches, and he went on and on from there. And then they got those, <laughs> they got those uniforms. But they again, it was that red, white, and blue thing. Yeah. My favorite, by the way, even though they're in their the division, I love the bir- birds on the bat. I love the Cardinals uniform, and I love the uh, Dodgers. Dodgers white. The home jersey with the blue and then the red number, like Larry King used to say, "There's never any white like Dodgers white." <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, is that where the Raleigh fingers mustache came from? Because he was an yeah. A. Right? Oh yeah, they, oh, he yeah. paid them. He paid players to grow mustaches. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. They all, wow. they all had them. They
3: all had yep. them. They all What's, had
1: them. So, what? so Augie, is it safe to say you'd be anti-advertising on the uh, on the uniforms then?
3: I think you go with the times, you know, I, I just stay back and I, you know, what, what teams do I really like to watch? And, and on a Jeff hit on some, you know, the, is there anything better than a St. Louis Cardinal uniform or is there anything better than a Dodger uniform and the, the Yankees and the Red Sox and those style uniforms? I say, no, there is not, but you look at today's uniforms. I do like it. I do like the styles. I do like the guys who are wearing their pants now almost like shorts (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I, I I, just I like to change a uniform and I like color. I think it brings out a lot as long as it doesn't get a little crazy. I, I think I remember back about wasn't it the Houston Astros yep. that mm-hmm. came up with a real different uniform. Mm-hmm. I didn't like that. I, I just thought it was mm-hmm. uh, it, uh, I didn't care for that. I stay traditional with solid colors. And uh, but baseball is baseball. And, you know, it's all about s- selling that uniform and the Brewers are doing it. Everybody's doing it. Yep. And, uh, I'm all for it if it makes the team look good.
0: Yeah. Well, let's, let's get on to the Brewers. I'm going to go, uh, to Jim Martin. We're going to start with Jim talking Ooh. about the Brewers here. Four aspects of the team. We'll talk about hitting, fielding, starting pitchers, relief pitchers of those four, which is the Brewers for this coming year? Strongest of those four, which is the weakest of those four?
1: Sure, right, right. I think you got to throw. in unfortunately, this year, guys, uh it's not all it's not all happy happy for me. This year. last year, <laughs> I was really happy about the team. Chris, I think you got to throw a fifth element in there, and that's back office. I think we got to talk a little bit. Yeah, about I was the gonna going to say coaching. I was going to say coaching. Not coaching. Yeah. Not coaching. Okay, back office. But yeah, because we're talking about trades and arbitration all this kind of crazy stuff that's been going on so um so anyway i think that's another thing we but as far as uh, the team itself i i'd have to go with uh, once again starting pitching is is their their solid uh strength i um uh i'm very concerned actually about their hitting uh i don't think i don't just you know, fans always, you know, it's, it's the money, money quarterback kind of thing, right. Where like, wow, well, I know best, you know, but I don't think they addressed the hitting issue as much as they needed to. Um, and that goes all the way back to the hater trade, which is another thing we can, this different topic we can talk about later. But, um, but I, I think that, you know, the strongest point is, is definitely starting pitching. Yeah.
3: Augie, uh, do you agree? But totally. I think when you look at this ball club, it's built around pitching and, uh, pitching is going to get you where you have to go we always talk about it from year to year and it's one thing that over the last several years when you got the good young pitching starting staff that the brewers have i think they have the best pitching staff in all of baseball now this year last year i said and i i felt really strongly about it i don't as much this year but i like that that the starting staff that they do have and i think if you look at this ball club going anywhere it's going to be all about all about staying healthy and especially with that starting staff
0: Hey, uh, Jeff, what about hitting? Is that the weak spot, you think?
2: I I would say yes. I think um, when we we did this, I can't believe a year has gone by. I remember very well when we did this last year and we talked about the starting pitching and people were asking me about the Brewers early in the season and got off to a good start and my concern at that time was the over-reliance on how well that starting pitching was doing and obviously like Augie said like Jim said, you've got to have a strong rotation and the Brewers have a rotation as good as any in baseball, but they can't carry a team for 162 games. It's so there's going to be ebbs and flows. Guys are going to, you know, sometimes they're going to get tired and they, they can't be expected to do that for an entire season. And so I think it's the, the strength absolutely is starting pitching, but they can't do it alone. And Jim, so that's uh, why I think the offense yeah. is a, a question mark. Jim, uh, what did you, what would you
0: have wished the back office to do?
1: Uh, you know, I, they, they, they gotta get better bats. I mean, they, you know, I think, I think once again, we last year, like you said, Jeff, you know, I remember the conversation too. Last year it was, well, we're hoping Yelich comes back around and Hira comes back around and uh there was one other name on there. It was like, we're hoping these guys kind of have a, a little bit of a revival. And I think we're kind of looking at the same thing. You got Yelich, you got Hira still. And now we got Jesse Winker in the, in the lineup, which is kind of like he faded a little bit when he was in Seattle and, and he you know, was really good with the Reds. Right. Um And then, mm-hmm. uh and so we're kind of hoping for a resurgence from him too. And then of course, you know, we got, we got some young guys, I think coming up too. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I would, I would have liked, and I'll go, uh, why don't we, I'll, I'll talk about the hater trade. I'll just bring it up right now that, uh-huh. that I think that was, um, uh, a gigantic, uh, mistake. I think, I don't think I'm alone in that, uh, but uh, it wasn't a mistake. I don't think I, I was all for, you know, the trade, like, fine. I understand you trade him, you know, trade a guy when he's, when he's hot and we got Devin Williams, who's a pretty good, you know, pretty good backup closer to him. And so that's I'm okay with the trade. I'm not okay with what we got for him. I mean, it was like if you're gonna trade him, trade him for a big bat or two, two me- medium bats, and and then you know then it's okay, I think. But but I was uh, I was pretty disappointed, and obviously it did not did not have the right effect that they were looking for last year.
0: So. Yeah, Augie, what? How did you feel about the Hitter trade when it happened?
3: I thought it cost him the playoffs. To be honest with you, I think the way it was set up, and you could see by the emotions of a Devin Williams of this whole staff, what, what what Josh Hader meant to the team. You know, There's a lot of things you can talk about when you talk about a guy like Josh Hader. You can say, well, one of the best relievers in all of baseball in the years that he was here and all the things that he did. But there's more to it in the game of baseball than just a guy who goes out on the mound and pitches that ninth inning. It's what happens inside that clubhouse and what happens outside in that bullpen. And when you look at the devastation of, what you have when you have a Devin Williams coming in the eighth and a Josh Hader coming in the ninth. You just got to clean up the innings before that. You're going to win a ball game, and you're going to win a majority of the ball games. Yep. So I thought when it came right down to it that last month, when you really need that one-two punch you have in the bullpen, they didn't have it. And I think that cost them, to, cost them uh, the playoffs. But at the same time, uh, you make moves to try to to better the ball club or to make the ball club competitive, and it just didn't work out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jeff, uh, you know,
1: Jeff, I, real quick, Chris, I, I just say, Augie, I think it's I think it's telling when the players actually say something to the media about it. Normally, they're like, you know, hey, you know, we're. I mean, they're pretty politically correct about it. And a couple of players came out and actually said, like, I can't believe they just crushed the spirit of the team by doing that. Yeah. Um, well, so it it changes telling. the
3: bullpen. It changes the bullpen yeah. when you, when you look at what, what they had there. Yeah. They picked up, put Matt Bush and they got, you know, there's the, some guys that come in and hopefully take the place, but it changes something that was very successful. When you got something going, that's a, that you're in a, in a group spot that you're, you're doing really well you got to continue with that. Consistency in the game of baseball is so important. Where do you need the consistency in the game of baseball more than anything? You need it in your bullpen. You can't win without a bullpen. And I always go back to Doug Melvin when he said, the one change that you'll always see consistently on any ball team from year to year is going to be your bullpen. And the strength of your bullpen is going to tell you whether you're going to get to the playoffs or not. And I think that is what is uh, telling about the club last year. And I think it's really telling about the club this year because you got a great starting staff. We've all we all agree with it, but is that bullpen? How are they going to get to Devin Williams? Or do they have the personnel out there to do it to get there and to be consistent? Craig Council's excellent at doing it. I will tell you what, he's got his hands full this year.
0: Yeah, Jeff. Uh, what, what do you think about the bullpen as it's constructed
2: today? What well, can I real quick? Can I just, I'll just give you my perspective okay. very quickly on the Hater trade. We all know as Brewer fans the Brewers' window is not as big as other teams to contend to have a real shot because we can't just make up for money that's misspent on a high-priced player and bring in another one, right? So when you've got a chance to go for it, the Brewers are right there to contend to win the division, right, guys? They're right there with this club that they have. You want to tweak something here and there, I'm all for it. You want to trade hater after the season? I'm all for it. But they're in, they're right there, right? They're right there. And to shake that team up like that, and to get what you got. Like like Jim said, like Augie said. There, there was no secret that it killed chemistry. It killed morale. It made a, a mess of the bullpen. Was Josh Hader perfect? No, but he was intimidating. He was darn good. You don't make that trade when you're contending for a division title and a chance to go far in the playoffs. You just – you can't do that. And, I, I mean, it was, a in my opinion – It was a crushing trade unless you got something right on par with Josh Hader or an unbelievable offensive player. So I just don't understand that. I would have understood if they had traded him in this offseason because they still could have done that. But to trade him when you've got a chance to go far and the Brewers, you know, there's no guarantee the Brewers are going to keep doing this. You know, like the Yankees, oh, yeah, they're going to be in it every year. Teams like Cardinals, they they had a shot right there, and I thought that they – they really, they really messed with it. Now I'm, so that was my take on that. Right. The right.
0: Uh, well, let me, uh, I'll come back to that. Jim, he talked about the window, the window of, of opportunity to do well. And yep. of course the brewers, like you said, smaller market, that window is, is smaller.
1: Is the brewers window rising? Has it peaked or is it post peak? Well, that's funny because it brings me to another, uh, another situation that that happened this off season, which is the arbitration with uh with Burns. Um uh Corbin Burns. So he um had this arbitration, they had this arbitration hearing, and for some reason, and oh, Augie, yeah, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, but uh he was at the actual arbitration hearing. And so so here you you know, there's this the hearing is, is to, you know, each side wants, he wants more money. The Brewers don't want to give him more money. So the Brewers are going to make this argument that he doesn't deserve more money. Whether they believe that or not, they're going to make this argument to this Harvard. And the, of course, his side is going to say, well, he did. So the Brewers said some things that he really took personally, understandably. I mean, they, from what, from what I've heard, uh, they said that he was the reason why they didn't make the playoffs, which is, Ah, preposterous i mean he's the reason why they're even close but so that really you know it really um i I don't anticipate he'll be back uh like when his contract is up for renewal or whatever i don't think he'll be back here because of these hurt feelings so then you start looking at and, and the reason i bring that up is because you start looking at that combination with the hater trade and uh and you start thinking like okay we're a small market team like jeff just said we can't play pay these players huge goo gobs amount of money right so what other incentive do they have to come play for the brewers a solid organization, right? A good place to play, a place where your, your organization, your, your back office is going to back you up. And if they don't have that, what are they coming here for? So, so that, that I think, I think they made it a lot. I think from a fans perspective, they made it a lot harder on themselves. Now, my question for you, Augie, would be, is that really a thing? Or is it just like, you know, that's just a, my fans perception of something like that.
3: Well, I think anytime when you have someone the caliber of a Corbin Burns who is listed as one of the best pitchers in all of baseball, I think the one thing you do is you try to be as non-confrontational as possible. And I think when you're talking about a difference in several hundred thousand dollars, I'm sure if you sat down with them uh, that you could negotiate and come up to an agreement and everybody would have said nothing and everybody went on and Corbin would have been happy and we go on from there. I Great. think the biggest is being confrontational with your your top players. If that was a a, a, a time when you had an Avian Hauser or someone like that going at it, not much would have been said, but mm-hmm. it's, but it's your, your number one guy you're listed as, how do you, how do you make the playoffs? How are you successful? Well, he's one of the big keys in being successful. And I think what they did is they did a, they did a, a bad job. I actually thought that the guy who negotiated should be fired because well, how were you negotiating with the best pitcher in all of baseball and worried about such a minute thing. I thought yep. they were millions apart. They weren't millions apart. Yeah, there were right. hundreds of thousands apart yeah, that yeah. they could have come up to an agreement. And I, I thought the the worst thing that happened because of that, and it's really causing a lot of problems. And I think it's caused Corbin problems because now he's looked at differently in that clubhouse, differently than he was before. As soon as they, he got through it, he goes to the ballpark and what the what do the the media do, they shove a microphone in his face. Mm, they yeah. should have hit him to the side, sat mm. down and talked to Corbin Burns and then do a nice interview, whoever the interview is. Have Jeff Grayson come in, do a nice mm. interview with him and talk person to person about what he went through. It would have been so positive and even have been positive with Corbin because he could have been able to express himself and everybody would have understood it. Now let's move on. But right. they stuck a full microphone in his face and just let him talk and he was upset. And I think that is a negative thing in the clubhouse. And what does it do? It shows the next superstar that wants to come to Milwaukee that they want to sign to get to the playoffs is going to think twice. Because why? Because they were goofing around with several hundred thousand dollars on one of the best pitchers in all of baseball.
1: Right. So right. So, so real, real quick, um, what, one quick question about that how often are players the players themselves actually in the arbitration hearing isn't that that's supposed to be what they have uh uh not managers um agents, agents thank agents. you for right so how often think, are they actually in there i think
3: they i think they hear everything i think the, mm. the i think they players want to know what's going on why it didn't happen and i think it's a lot it has a lot to do with with the with what they do now i'm going to go back to what don sutton once said that every player, sh- every player who ever plays in the game of baseball on the major level, should have the opportunity to play in Milwaukee. Why mm-hmm. does Don Sutton, a Hall of Famer who was here for a year and several months, say that? Why? Because Milwaukee is such a great place to play. It's a good ballpark. The organization's great. The fans are terrific. And that's what we have. That's our plus. And uh, and uh, to make that happen with Corbin Burns right there was kind of a negative. How will it, what will it have an effect on? It'll probably have an effect on Corbett Burns, but where do they go from there? Yeah.
0: Well, Augie, I'm going to ask you the question I asked Jim, which is we all love the Brewers. We all want them to win. Is this current crop of Brewers, current brewer team, is it in the ascendancy? Are they getting better or have they peaked and started to come back down? And is that window closing? Obviously, Yell at Show, he was the MVP and we have the best pitching staff. Also we lose Hader. Yelich hasn't quite got the golden touches he had. just from my standpoint as a casual fan, it seems like that window's starting to close. Am I wrong?
3: I think they're on a plateau right now. I think they're really they've got they've got several starters that are as good as anybody in baseball. I think the key to the starting rotation and some of you guys will agree with me or not agree with me. was it great to pick up a guy like a Wade Miley? I thought it was excellent, but there I think too. the key to their whole starting staff is not Burns and Woodruff. I think it's Freddie Peralta. Yep. Is Freddy Peralta going to stay healthy? Number one, is he going to take that next step on the mental part of the baseball game to be that dominant pitcher that he's capable of? That's going to tell a lot about this starting staff. And then the second thing I think is important is Devin Williams. We mm-hmm. all talk about Devin Williams in that closer, and everybody says, well, oh, he's got to change up. But I'm going to tell you one thing. Mm-hmm. The changeup at the end of the year, people were sitting on it and yeah. letting him throw it. He wasn't throwing it for strike. He right. struggled. I really believe that Devin Williams has to take that slider he's got. He's got to change that slider, make it a Corbin Burns type cutter, because then what you do is he's got a good four-seam fastball. He's got a little cutter you can throw for a strike. Now you got the changeup. He's got three quality pitches that he can use at any time. That's what's going to make take him from being a really good, good short reliever, one of the best in all of baseball, to one of the greats in baseball. But how do you get to Devin Williams? That's going to be the problem that the Brewers are going to have.
1: Right. You know, that reminds me a little bit of of Josh Hader, which was he had that fastball and it was great and it was hard to see and it was great. But every once in a while, guys like later in the season is dropping from 98 to 95, 94. He's starting to get hit, starting to get knocked around. Then, and of course, you know, I mean, because I'm such a guru, right? I said, he's got to get another pitch. Lo and behold, next year he had that slider coming in. He used it a few times and then he got more confident last year or maybe yeah, I think it was last. Anyway, the second year he started using it, he was just, I mean, what can you do against that? Now you got a guy who throws 98 and might throw a slider at you too. And like what, I mean, that's, that's insane. So I think it's the same thing with Williams. Like you said, you can't just have one pitch, even though you're the ninth, you know, you're only throwing one inning, you got to have, you got to have three pitches, I think three, three quality pitches. I think over a ball, saying,
3: you know, over over. Uh, I think, and you guys will all agree with me. Any time that you do think anything for a short period of time, you can be sex successful with a small amount of things in order to incorporate to be successful. You got a fastball, you got a curveball, but when you go through a 162 games and the, there is film and everybody follows you, they got analytics, they got all these things that go on in the game of baseball. It changes it. I think Devin Williams has a chance to be one of the best relievers in all of baseball, without a doubt. I just think he needs to get together with this fastball, being able to locate it for strikes on a more consistent basis, use a change-up. But if he had that Corbin Burns-style cutter, how good would he be?
2: Yeah, Jeff? Yeah. Um, I, my take on that is I, I, think he, um, I think he has the capability to do it. We just have to see him do it because I can't imagine – I have no idea what it's like, Augie can relate, but where the manager gives you the ball, and it's a packed house, and the game's on the line, and you come in, and you've you've got to, you know, put this game away, and you're expected to as a closer, and, you know, Josh Hader had to grow into that role, and, uh, you know, we were talking about Rally Fingers earlier, I mean, that's, you know, Hall of Famer, but you've got to have ice in your veins and you've got to have a couple of pitches to be able to get guys out. And I'm not saying he Williams can't do it. I, I think he's got the the potential to do it, but he he's now going to have to. hater is gone as we've talked about. So we, we are going to have to see if he can come through with production the way the brewers are going to have to have him come through and let's hope the brewers can get enough late inning leads where those appearances are <laughs> yeah. save opportunities. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, yeah.
0: Uh, let me uh, mention the last aspect of what I talked about in the beginning, which is fielding. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most overlooked uh, thing in baseball. Uh, how are the brewers when it comes to fielding?
2: Well, I I've got to, you know, it's going to be interesting you guys, because um, with the acquisition of uh, Brian Anderson, and I'm not talking about the announcer. Um, right. We already had him. <laughs> but, you know, the other the other Brian Anderson. It was always funny when when Brian Anderson on the Brewer side would say Brian Anderson is at the plate. But if he's probably the, the third baseman, it looks like, right? So then you've got Adamas at short, who uh, I think is electric. And then you move Urias over to second, if, right? I mean, that's how I see it. And then you've got some other guys who, who can play. And I remember when we were talking about this last year, Chris, and we were talking about Telez at first and we were, I remember almost t- exactly. We said, Hey, it's not a bad first baseman. I know he can, you know, we're in the DH age in both leagues. I actually think he's kind of an underrated uh, first baseman. I know he can mm-hmm. be a DH, but yeah. I think on the infield. I think their defense can be pretty good. However, and I'm sure, I know you're probably going to want to ask this about the catching thing that it would it, be interesting, you know, with the, the new catcher they have with Contreras because mm-hmm. he's known for his offense. It's kind of like, well, he's good on defense, but he's, you know, it's his hitting is why the Brewers acquired him. So, yep. and then in the outfield, you know, you've got Yelich leading the way. And I think Yelich is pretty good, but, um, I don't know you guys. I'm not completely over the top on the defense yet because there's some new parts there, and I'm just not sure. We know some of the infield, but i'm I'm just not sure to be honest. I'm giving you an incomplete as far as how I'd grade them. I'm not sure yet. What do you yep. guys think Jim how
1: about uh, the I think feeling? um I think yeah, I think you're right. I think uh I mean, you could cover the infield pretty well when you talk about the outfield, I mean we lost Kane, we lost McCutcheon. I'm looking at my notes here. We lost Renfro. Right. We lost, uh No, I guess that's it. Cause we lost Colton Wong too. And we're but I mean, you know, so those are, those are big, but, um, but then we picked up uh winker, right. He'll be playing the outfield and we got Taylor, right. He'll be, he'll be out there. And just Brousseau, does he play outfield too? I think he play kind of goes, he's one of those guys who can play anywhere. Right. Yeah. But, but you lose a guy like Kane, even though he was getting older, he wasn't playing, you know, all the games, obviously he was, but, but I mean, that guy could still, that guy was still one of the best outfielders in the league. I think even, you know, he wasn't hitting very well, but anyway, McCutcheon's still the same thing, you know, right? Fast. And so I think, um, I think Tyrone Taylor's got to really step up in, in, and mm-hmm. embrace that role. And, and then of course, like you said, Yelich, and then that third position, I guess is going to be Winker, but that's kind of like, I, I don't really know much about him in terms of like his defense. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be, uh, Kind of a fingers crossed, yeah. I think, situation. Hey, uh,
0: Jerry, now you were a pitcher, major league pitcher there. Tell us your worst comebacker story. You, did, you had to do some fielding. Did you ever get a screaming liner that uh, hit you in the noggin or anything?
3: Yeah. yeah. Can I count them? One, two, three. No. <laughs> um, the best one, my, my best story I have is that goes. we were facing the uh, Boston Red Sox. And a, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Jimmy Rice, who's a Hall of Famer, uh, left fielder for them, a big, strong guy, uh, was, uh, was at the plate. And we were in about, I don't remember what inning and I don't remember the situation. And I looked up at the scoreboard, and I saw that he was hitting uh, just a little over 200. He was struggling at the time. And I got behind him uh, 2-0, and so I thought, I have to throw a fastball down the middle, see what he does with it. I threw, a, I, this is a true story. I wound up, I threw a fastball right down the middle, and all of a sudden I, I felt something funny, and I looked at my glove and the ball was there. I never saw the ball. I never saw the ball. I looked at the ball, and then I looked at Jimmy, and Jimmy just started laughing. He, I mean, he literally bent over. He was laughing so hard. The next day, I had an imprint of the ball on my wow. hand. That's how hard he hit it. Oh, wow. And uh, he laughed, and I, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you where I caught it, in front of my body, above my body. I have no idea. All I know is that, was that I never saw the ball. The ball ended up in my glove. And when I looked at Jimmy, he just looked at me, and he started laughing. And, uh, we just kind of just laughed and I went, I went, ouch. And, uh, <laughs> uh sometimes every once in a while you make a mistake. Yeah, uh, from that day on, I, I always made sure that when I was going to throw some, a certain pitch, I want to make sure they don't hit it at me. They can hit it hard somewhere else. But, yeah. uh, that was one that I never saw the ball and it ended up in my glove. Do you think yeah. you were a pretty good fielding pitcher in your day? I would, I would say I was a little bit above average. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I thought I could scramble around. I had, I was fairly quick. Uh. Around the mound, could, uh, made the, made the place pretty well. But uh, I, you know, I, I, I held my own. I did yeah. when I, I did the place that I was supposed to make, uh, when I had to. But, uh, you know, just going on a, a step further with the feelers. I think on the infield side of the baseball with Brian Anderson that Jeff had just talked about at third base and Adamas, Urias and Atelas on the infield, I think they're better than they were last year. I think Brian, Brian Anderson was a good solid third baseman when he was down in Miami. I thought he played very well, had some great years. I think Urias is is such a great player. He can play any position. But I think second base is, is uh, his place in the world of baseball. Uh, we've been just yeah. watching a classic. He's made some fantastic plays. I think they're better in the infield. I don't think they're as strong in the outfield. Mm-hmm. I think – and the reason yeah. is, is they've got uh, Christian Yelich, who's made four or five years in spring training. They got Garrett Mitchell who is struggling a little bit right now with an injury. I think Garrett Mitchell has a tendency, could be one of the great baseball players in in brewery history. Uh, he's just a very talented young man. But then what do you do in right field? Right now they're looking at Tyler Knightwin in there or or maybe even a uh, Joey Weimer or a, a young player like uh, Sal Felix out there. Tyrone Taylor is going to be out for another month yet. I yeah. think the outfield is really a big question. And that's where Craig is really going to have to do some maneuvering to make sure that he has – Steady ball players, Yeah. Ken Owen Miller, the guy they got from Wisconsin, that's from Wisconsin. He played center field today, did a nice job. Good young athlete. So it's going to be versatility for this ball club, especially in the field. But I really do like their infield the way it is.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Strong point.
0: Strong point for sure. Yeah. The big question is, how are the Brewers going to do? And we're going to address that in the next half hour of our show, which our listeners will hear the following week after this week. I want to thank my co-host, who's very knowledgeable in this uh, department, Jim Martin. I want to thank Jeff Grayson, uh, again, a former uh, Fox Sports host. And, of course, uh, Jerry Augustine, former Brewer. We're going to come right back here, guys, in just a minute or two, to talk about the league. I want to talk about uh, predictions. I want to go over last year's predictions from our host, yeah. from our guests, which uh, which nobody ever does. <laughs> nobody goes back and listens. To anything, <laughs> but I did. And we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about rule changes because this is a big topic and again as a casual fan i'm interested in this so let's leave it at that guys we'll take a minute break and we'll come back and talk about the league
1: join us next time on the bait and switch podcast when we continue our discussion of the upcoming mlb season with jeff grayson and jerry augustine You've made
2: it to the end of another Bait and Switch podcast. Spread the word.